Hello, podcast listeners. You are listening to another episode of The Long Voyage Home. I'm your host, Corbin Johnson. I am currently at home after a long Sunday playing in an infinite diversity tournament, followed by a round of triples. And I thought I'd discuss my thoughts on the format of infinite diversity, and then maybe talk about the current state of triples, and uh, especially cards like Utilize and Discard. And seeing, well, we'll see what happens when we get there. So, instead of making this a show about a tournament, uh, doing a like a tournament report, I thought I would simply talk about my thoughts on the format and kind of how much I enjoy playing in it or not, or where I think it could be improved or what fun stuff there is, or what bad stuff goes on, and also the effort it takes to run one, and what it's like to play in one, and just talk about infinite diversity rather than the actual tournament that I was in. But I'll take, ex- I'll take examples from the tournament to try to back up my points. So, first of all, we've got lots of other venues for tournament reports. I might even write a tournament report for today's tournament online, if you <laughs> care to understand more exactly of what happened, feel free to read it, but we've got Section 31, and we've also got uh, Simulate This that do a great job of talking about specifics as far as the tournament reports. So, I, uh, I'm at home, and I've uh, just finished grocery shopping, and I'm going to make some dinner, so I hope you don't mind uh, listening to some noise of me make dinner as I go about putting uh, together this podcast. So, I'm uh, pulling out, uh, I might make a podcast someday where it's uh, uh, cooking and trek, and I maybe the two go together very well, I'm not sure. So, any hoozles, so infinite diversity, what is infinite diversity? It is a format that requires, uh, it's, it's a sealed deck format for second edition, and it uh, it requires quite a bit of setup by the tournament director and uh, the tournament director has to print out probably 10 sheets of paper color for every person that wants to come up and cut them up and have everything ready to go sorted and put into packs and stuff like that. It's a format that is supposed to make a, it's a it's probably the premium drafting format for second edition. Other drafting formats include Dangerous Missions, and I think that's it. I've never really done any other drafting in 2E other than Infinite Diversity. I never played in any sort of a drafting tournament for Dangerous Missions. I might try that someday, but I have not heard good things about it, unfortunately, which biases me to not really want to partake in that. Sorry. (laughs) To be so frank about it, at least that's what I've come to understand. Um, so, Infinite Diversity is probably the best drafting experience there is for second edition right now. The effort it takes to put it in, to, to actually put together the tournament, is quite extensive. It's, uh, as I was mentioning, it takes about 10 sheets of paper. They have to be cut out and put into packs to allow the player to quickly shuffle through. You, uh, you, you're basically given an infinite diversity pack. Uh, that's uh, 20 fixed cards 
several dilemmas, several personnel, a ship, the Olara, its eight ranges and unaligned, and uh, one mission to transport crash survivors, and a couple of events, including a bicycle, a creative bicycle at that. It's pretty creative. Um, product placement uh, lets you discard a, a verb or an equipment to draw or to spend two counters, and that, that's that's helpful. Um, so you're given that. You're given a mission pack of nine missions uh, that should include one or two uh, headquarters, and you can pick one of those headquarters as soon as you open it up. Those headquarters tend to correspond with the cards in the infinite diversity pack packs that you're given. Because you get first crack at those packs, you can usually pick out the the awesome personnel that matches your headquarter or headquarters that you have, uh, or maybe there'll be an awesome dilemma in there, and you want to do that and hope that as uh, the packs pass around that you get those personnel back or those awesome dilemmas. And you have to make that decision on the fly, and that does make it interesting. Drafting is an interesting sport in and of itself, and Magic has been, I think, doing it ever since it began. And Magic is, if you want a premium drafting experience, that's probably the way to go. Hang on, podcast listeners. All right, we're back. And uh, so I was saying that Magic the Gathering probably has the best drafting of any CCG out there. I don't know. I haven't played that many CCGs. I've played Star Trek. I've played Star Wars. I've played Magic not that very much. I've played uh, Mega Man. I've played... I don't think I've ever played Beyblade. I've never done Austin Powers, unfortunately. I hear that's great. I did play Wars. I played a little Star Wars. Not very much. And Jedi Knights, no. Not Young Jedi. What else was... I... Yeah, not not very much. But, um... Anyway, so... Oh, and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. I never did anything magic, like, sealed with Lord of the Rings to a huge effort. But there was some of that in there. And, um... Yeah, at least when I've drafted Magic, it was kind of interesting. And if you ever listen to Mark Rosewater talk about it, I mean, I think he's said on several occasions that drafting is is kind of, of something you have to do very. It's very important uh, and integral to uh, the the design of every set. So, what Infinite Diversity does is it's a compromise, uh, at least in my opinion, given the how Star Trek CCG is maintained now in terms of the ability of having a draft format for 2nd edition. We don't have the ability to make real cards, or... Let me let me back up. We don't actually assign rarity to cards anymore. Instead, all cards are the same rarity when they come out now. So, uh, without the rarity, there is some... So, if you think about magic, common cards tend to be not so powerful, but they tend to give um, basic some basic characteristics to the cards, and uh, they they themselves aren't actually what define a deck type. It's usually the uncommons that do that. So, if you pull an interesting uncommon early on and go, oh, I could maybe build a deck around this for a draft, and then you start piling commons and rares that go around the uncommon, that's great. But in 2nd edition, we uh, every card has the same rarity, and 
the card you really want to build your deck around is the headquarters and not so much a thematic event. I mean, uh, there are exceptions to that rule, and I'm sure someone listening to this is going, oh, you're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about, and I apologize, but we, when I was drafting Infinite Diversity today, after I pulled Bajor and Cardassia as headquarters, I said, well, I'm going to have to find missions that have Bajor or Cardassian on them as attemptable missions or any affiliation can attempt. And then after that, I need to find good dilemmas and I have to find personnel that fit those missions. So you draft something like nine missions and you kind of have to look at them very quickly and go, okay, I think these three have the most overlap and I should be finding people that can try that as, as easily as possible. And so... Yeah, that's what I did. I, I found three missions that I thought, okay, these are 35-point missions. That's important. They have to be 35 points because you, the way to win is you have to have 70 points from a space in the planet. You have to consider that. Usually players go for a two-mission win. I haven't seen anyone try to do a 30, a 35, and a, something super easy or try to get five points somehow. Maybe it's possible. I'm not saying it's not. There's probably a lot of personnel that say score five points, win, blah. And that's great. And if you can do that and you're willing to take the risk, great. And that adds to the so-called infinite diversity of infinite diversity. That's fine. But everyone I saw playing today, 35-point missions, two-mission win. That was the goal, and that's what everyone had to do. So that's what I had to do. <laughs> and uh, so I'm building around a headquarters, and uh, I, I guess I don't know how much it really matters that everything is the same rarity you're getting, and I, I don't even know if the pack designer considers that you get some one-cost guys, you get some three-cost guys, and you get some four-cost guys in your pack, and that you get an even distribution of dilemmas with ships and whatnot. But in the end, you'll really have to, it's really all about focusing on cheap personnel or maybe one or two high-cost personnel that can fill out the skills you need. And maybe it's not even that. And it's ideal to have a bunch of low-cost guys and kind of just go to missions. You're given dilemmas that prevent you from mega-attempting, and you're given a mission that prevents you from under-attempting. The ideal mission attempt uh, uh, crew or away team is six to nine personnel in this format. And given that, you probably want a mix of... And then you're also given an in-development. So you want people who cost more than two and you can send as a lot of them, between six and nine of them, to your mission attempts. That's, I guess, what, you know, ID is really well defined in, in terms of what it, it's trying to ask you to draft for, but at the same time, you have to consider other factors, like how easy will it be to pull off getting a in-development and a Mark of Gideon, and uh, all these things, and will you pull enough ships, and all these factors that do make it interesting but at the same time can make it very frustrating if you don't draft properly and I saw that frustration with a couple of players today they were frustrated that they either did not pull ships or enough ships or the right ships or ships that didn't have span of eight or range of eight excuse me and they were also frustrated that the missions didn't go well with their personnel and that inherently comes because although you're able to restrict each infinite diversity format to three or four affiliations so that ideally when you're drafting two players are 
drafting Bajorans, one player is drafting Cardassian, and one is drafting Maquis. Well, at the same time, there's counter-drafting that can be done. I, I don't think that's a big deal in this format. But you have to consider it's possible you're not going to get what you need. And maybe you're going to get too many high-cost personnel or too many low-cost personnel. And maybe that's just inherent. It makes this a fun format, but at the same time, I found several players frustrated by all of these things. So the nature of ID is a little bit chaotic. A lot of There's a lot of structure. There's a lot of good things going for the format that you can download a ship, that you can easily... That's you know it's a two mission win. It's streamlined. It tries to make it fun, and I think they try. Uh, Charlie and, and the people who designed this format really tried their best to make the premier draft format for Tui. And I think it's safe to say that this is as good as it's going to get for Tui drafting. Maybe this format can be tweaked, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that have opinions on that. And I think. It might be worthwhile to have an ID 2.0 or something along those lines if there's enough formats and enough feedbacks and enough playtesting to say, hey, maybe we should make it 65 points. Or, hey, let's say it's not important that you solve a planet in a space. Or things like that. I don't know. Maybe those are helpful. Maybe not. But it would be interesting to see if there are other formats that are available. And I'd love to hear if things were tried and they failed and... You know, it, it, I think it'd be worth a discussion. So we've talked about what infinite diversity is. I've talked about a couple of ideas about maybe what's good, maybe what's bad. Uh, I think I'm going to start talking about the fun I had today and some things that weren't so fun today. So, so I wanted to talk about a couple of the fun things that happened during the format today or at least during the tournament today for me. Not, not specific examples, or at least if I can help it. But uh, one fun thing about Infinite Diversity is Star Trek is a... I think there's 2,500 cards in 2nd Edition now, approximately. That's a lot of cards. And I can tell you for sure, I haven't played with every one of them. And I'll bet you that not every... <laughs> that there isn't anyone who's played with any every single card except for maybe playtesters and... I don't know, maybe really dedicated players. But Infinite Diversity, because it is made of all virtual cards, and I don't know if ratted cards are in there, um, but there are several cards in there that I've never played with before. And every time I play Infinite Diversity, I get to play with new cards. And that's kind of fun. So I drafted Bajorans today, and then so I got to play with a new, with the Benjamin Sisko that was uh, Voice of the Prophets or something. He, uh, Integrity 8, Cunning 6, Strength 6, cost 4. And when I played him, I got to download a profit card and then take my out-of-play personnel and put them in my discard pile or shuffle them in my deck. Not that either of those things I was... I, I, I didn't have any profit cards, nor did I have any personnel ever go out of play. But, hey, uh, I got to play with that guy. He had four pretty good skills, and the Integrity 8 was really helpful for one of my missions. It was an Integrity uh, greater than 31. So... Although he costed four, it was a card I never played with, and I was very excited about that. You know, let's play with a new card. Woohoo! It's fun. So that's one benefit of it. Play with new cards. There's new verbs. There's dilemmas. All these things I've never played with, and it's fun to go through them. And you know, <laughs> inherent with drafting is at the end there's always that one card no one really wanted. So you end up with it, and then you go, mm, maybe this has some potential for my deck, but probably not. 
Um, also fun is that you're allowed to change your deck between rounds. That's inherent in most sealed deck formats. And I quite enjoyed... Uh, I, I enjoy having that option. I, that, I did not do that this time. Typically in a 1E format with sealed, I will do that. And uh, it's usually very beneficial. I, I'll go, oh man, I really wish I had that skill. Or I really wish that I remembered that that dilemma is in this set. And so I better stock for security or whatever. That sort of thing. And, uh, you know, that's nice because you play in a constructed tournament and you go, oh crap, I totally forgot that skill, and that's that. And you start cursing the skies and uh, section 31 for, uh, well not, never mind, uh, I'm trying to make a joke there. I'm very bad at making humor on the fly, I apologize. <laughs> uh, anyway, so you get to play with cards you don't get to play with typically, and you can change your deck between rounds. Another thing fun about the format is perhaps it's the last hurrah for a dual headquarters uh, place to play. Since Matter of Time dropped, there's a lot of dual headquarters hate, and who's to say that it will or won't be effective? From the looks of it, I think many players are going to be discouraged by playing dual headquarters. So, in Infinite Diversity, I think it's not only encouraged, but possibly required to have a uh, reasonable chance at winning the game. I don't know, I guess it depends on the affiliation, but I did not feel like having two headquarters was a big deal. Sure, in development, costs one less. Uh, it costs minus one for each headquarters you have in play, so there is that trade-off there. Um, I don't know if I saw or if it's possible to get the uh, dilemma that says if you have two headquarters that you put it on one and you must go and report show three guys of that headquarters to report there again. Uh, if it's in there, fine. I guess that's encouragement to make sure you're stocking enough people of those headquarters, but um, definitely if you want to play dual headquarters, this is a pretty good place to do it. So, yeah, if, if, if you're disappointed about how Matter of Time is anti-dual headquarters, well, Here's a shot to kind of reminisce about the old days and the good the good times, or however you want to think about it. Uh, some of the things that I'm not a huge fan of in Infinite Diversity, I think I've probably discussed already, is that if you draft incorrectly, you're pretty much effed. So that's, that's no fun. And can that be solved by putting better cards in, in I don't know, if uh, make make Infinite Diversity's pack, or make a second, maybe Infinite Diversity 2.0, that's like a, a swath, uh, another non-line team. Uh, maybe, maybe that's the way to go, but maybe not. Perhaps we need a pack dedicated to each headquarter. So let's say you get, you're given the Bajoran pack. Well, here's a starter of nine Bajorans that are going to fill out your deck nicely, or maybe maybe just six guys, or maybe three guys, or maybe here's Bajor, and here's a mission for you. I don't know if that makes it too cookie-cutter. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I think uh, that might have been how Dangerous Missions went about it. You were given a couple guys and a couple missions, and here you go, and build your deck around that. Maybe that's just too cookie-cutter for some people. Maybe if you want to enjoy a format where truly anything's possible, just play Infinite Diversity the way it is, and, and shut up and enjoy it. 
If you don't like it, go play Dangerous Missions. Go spend 60 bucks on some sealed product that's pretty hard to find these days. Or maybe we can make those cards printable, and then um, maybe someday down the road. I know on Lackey it's very easy to do stuff like this now. So go play online, and there you go. Now you don't. Now stop whining. Ah, I don't know. Uh, not that anyone's whining about the format, but I'm sure there are people who have their reservations about the format. So, yeah, not drafting properly can, can really hose a player. So, draft dilemmas early, draft personnel early, and try to avoid the frivolities of crazy, weird events and interrupts if you can help it. What else don't I like about the format? Uh... Yeah, if you don't if you don't pull a couple of key skills, I mean, yeah. Again, I think it all comes back to did you draft well, did you not? Did you get screwed? Did someone draft screw you? Is that even possible? Were too many people trying to play Bajoran? Were too many people trying to play Maquis or whatever? Do we need to balance the packs better maybe? I don't know. Um, but in the end, if someone has to win, right? <laughs> That's what they were saying today. Someone's eventually going to win. And yeah. You just kind of have to go with it and try to have fun and not worry about it too much. Just be sure to draft enough personnel to make a 25-card deck, and you will. Uh, it's six, I mean, in the end, you're drafting 45 cards plus a mission pack, so you're bound to draft at least enough guys, and, I mean, you, you, you can make a deck, and even if somehow you miss the right guys. Draft non-aligned early... Make sure you can staff your ships. It's uh, Maybe it's just not for beginners. Maybe you should start by playing Constructed and then go to this. So, Infinite Diversity offers players a chance to play with a bunch of cards they haven't played with before. It offers you a chance to play Dual Headquarters, and it gives you a chance to explore just different facets of, uh, of Second Edition. The... The, uh, the the structure of it is well-defined, and you can really just dig in and kind of have some fun and explore. So I I, w I wouldn't mind playing Infinite Diversity again. I feel bad for the TD having to put together such a crazy effort for it. And uh, maybe if it could be offloaded and you, s you tell each player when they're coming, here, print out, print out someone else's cards. And you're on your honor to not screw them over somehow. And uh, bring that, and we'll shuffle. We'll give it to someone else to make sure that since you've looked at it, uh, you're you're not you don't have a total disadvantage. Everyone will have looked at one. Everyone comes with one. I think that that might be a, a, an interesting way to kind of keep it level and not give the TD too much work because they're already you know it's hard enough to be a TD. So let's not give them too much extra work. And yeah, um, what else can I extol as far as my perspective on the uh, format. Uh, just have fun and enjoy. So, since I think I've talked enough about Infinite Diversity, let's talk about Tribbles and what's going on with that. I have... I have... <laughs> I'll tell you a story. I, I've played Tribbles since Tribbles was... since it came out, basically. I thought it was a fun game, or someone else thought it was a fun game. And although I didn't have a lot of the hundred thousands when the game originally came out, I collected them and was able to get some of them and 
eventually I was able to get just enough so that I think our local group started playing Tribbles maybe uh, once every three or four months. And Poison was very popular, Discard was very popular, and we just went with it. And eventually we, uh, we went to Matt Kirk's Phoenix Con. And this was the convention that took place right as 2nd Edition was coming out. That's kind of a bye-bye to 1st Edition and a hello to 2nd Edition. And we, the last event of the con was the Tribbles World Championship. So on our drive down, I drove down with Franklin Cantor and Jeremy Commander, and we pretty much learned Tribbles, and not learned Tribbles, but tried to play Tribbles and kind of come up with the best decks we could because uh, there weren't that many powers as it was in the traditional format. And I ended up building a rescue with discard thing. And the idea was, if you have enough rescues with goes, you can do the cycle all the way through, and rescue from 100,000 rescue, you can either get 100,000 clone, or you can go back to the one go and do the cycle over again if you can, so long as you have enough 10,000 discard, 10,000 goes in your play pile, in your discard pile. So, that's how I went about it, and we, I think we played with a pod of 8 or 10 people. People were playing with skips and reverses, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? I didn't think that that was strategic at all. All you're doing is really shaking the game up for everyone and not necessarily helping yourself. So, somehow, to make a long story short, ended up winning that and became the pseudo uh, world, triples world champion. And ever since then, I started playing with, uh, I started playing triples with friends of mine and uh, right after that for a couple of years and then eventually triples was forgotten and no one really played it until Dan Hammond took the lead on it and started making new cards for it. And I think it was uh, an April Fool's joke, actually. Uh, here, we'll release this set, this new set of Tribbles as a ha-ha. And, uh, and then people took it seriously, and now we're where we're at. And uh, it's, it's grown into something that has become pretty much tradition. After a tournament of any kind, you play Tribbles. That's what you do. It's a good way to unwind. It's usually a lot of fun, and people tend to enjoy it. And there's a lot of creativity uh, with all the new cards that's out there that makes Tribbles fun and exciting to play. So, my local playgroup has basically <laughs> come to the realization that Utilize is a really good card. And today, as we played Tribbles, I think every deck, except for one, is playing either Poison or Utilize. And although we have Antidotes out there, there is really no counter for Utilize. Now, is that to say that the problem with Utilize is that it's an easy way to score points? Is Utilize maybe, was Utilize designed to be balanced on its own? In that, when you poison someone, the card is discarded and there's really no advantage to the player who's been poisoned? Or is it to say that Utilize maybe is good, but it isn't super good? Um, and what we found is that Utilize is a really good way to... Uh, turn a battle deck of someone's into an ATM, basically. I'm going to utilize you, and you are going to give me hundreds of thousands of points, and we, or we're going to share them because you're playing with tallies, and then, as it tends to be, the player playing utilize may not go out more than once or at all, and they'll still win the tournament because they've been able to exploit the so-called ATM of the table. And so the question is arisen, do we need an antidote for utilize? And I think the answer is yes. And whatever format it ends up taking, 
is is up to you know the designers of triples and however they want to handle it. So I would say let's leave it up to the designers to come up with something creative. Is it going to be like antidote where you utilize this and then boom you get to go out or boom you score an equal number of points and the other player has to do so I don't know but you know let the designers come up with something interesting and then we can say well at least there's a counter for utilize if you the player think that utilize is too powerful uh, it's it's contended it's in it's very contentious whether or not utilize is actually too powerful but I tend to think so I think it scores too many points for the player playing it and it tends to make for a negative playing experience so utilize I think is the biggest contention in triples right now but Luckily, the diversity, uh, uh, I mean, and there's freeze, right? Freeze is a counter for everything, but uh, freeze only goes so far, and you have to have a freeze, and if everyone, yeah, anyway, freeze is, freeze is good, but not great. I think that the benefits of freeze uh, don't so much help the player playing freeze, but help the entire table, um, probably more so than the actual player who plays freeze, but that's just anecdotal evidence uh, supporting that opinion. So, triples, however, you know, there's a lot of good things going for triples. It's got a diverse uh, number of powers now that pretty much allow you to play any kind of deck you want. And the counters are not so huge that you're discouraged from playing any kind of deck, uh, except for maybe Toxin and Discard. I think Toxin has proven to be an effective counter for discards to the point that uh, unless you are sprinkling in discards as just a maybe a one discard and you go out, that sort of thing, uh, if you're playing a, a true discard deck, I think there's still, so long as one player is playing tra uh, Toxin, that's it. You're, you're pretty much done. Um, I, I mean, there's exceptions to that rule, but I think discard may be effectively dead as a deck type. Um, is that how it should be? I don't know. Uh, but I think that so long as there is a little controversy about triples, and so long as everyone's still having fun, and no one's getting up and turning, flipping the table over and saying, gosh, this is terrible, then, you know, win. I think it's a win. I think, I think the true win for triples is that people are actually playing triples. And I think it was just some goofy idea that Decipher came up with one day, and the, the fact that it's taken off to the point that it's at now is, is fantastic. And... It is really exciting to me that next year, because the 100,000 clone will be printable, Tribbles will truly be a living card game, and I think this was mentioned on the board several times. And that's very exciting to me. That, that means the CC will have fully allowed for a game to be fully printable. Anyone can play it. There is, as, other than the cost of printing, it is a zero-cost game that we will fully support until Paramount shuts us down, or I don't know if anyone will, or CBS. Um, but, you know, fair use and all that. Uh, that's another discussion for another day. So I'm very excited about that, and uh, I think, to make a point, people like the game Flux because in the rules it says, you know, anyone can join the game at any time, and so Tribbles is almost, I mean, it's not to the point where you're in the middle of a tournament, and someone walks up and says, what's this? Oh, it's Tribbles, and here's a deck. You want to play? That would be cool, but we don't need that. Instead, we can be 
This is Tribbles. We're going to end in less than an hour, and we're going to play another round, and you are more than welcome to join us. You'll pick this game up in five minutes. Here's a couple cards that say exactly what all the powers do, and uh, let's have some fun. It's, it's Uno with a fuzzy twist. That's what I like to tell people. And so you pick it up, and Tribbles could theoretically become an entryway into first or second edition. Uh, first edition to some degree, since it's actually a first edition card type. Maybe. I mean, no one really... I don't think triples are actually that popular in 1E. And second edition, just because people who like triples tend to like 1E and 2E. So, this is a good tool for the continuing committee, I think, in my opinion. And I think it's good that we're supporting it. And it's good that the releases tend to be about once a year. It gives our players, it gives all players a, a chance to really explore all the powers out there. And as long as there are new cards coming out, it doesn't say stagnant. I mean, the, the inherent problem with CCGs is that if you don't expand them, they will die. And that's because the best decks will eventually get found. And unless there are effective counters for it, which there aren't, usually, um, the best deck will become figured out, and then that's it. And I think that's why 1E and 2E have had to embrace errata, and that's a good thing, because as soon as a card is errated, suddenly the most powerful card isn't, and then some other card becomes the most powerful card, and then it gets errated, and that keeps the game fresh. And that's exactly what the game needs. So, so long as Tribbles is coming out with even nine cards, or even one card, or something, every year, Tribbles can remain a very enjoyable, fun, and fresh experience for all players. And this is great. Tribbles is probably... Probably the most easy, I mean, it's the easiest game of the three to pick up, and it's probably, <laughs> probably the most fun for a general purpose audience. I've, <laughs> my, my fellow gamers have been able to rope their girlfriends or wives or significant others into, uh, or husbands or whatever, into actually playing Tribbles, and that's exciting to me. I mean, 90% uh, of the people I know that, that have spouses, I mean, Michael Van Bremen's an exception, of course. Um, their spouses think the game is terrible, and it should die, and it can go to hell and burn, and I know my spouse is very, very much the same way. And uh, I think I could rope my girlfriend into playing triples sometime. <laughs> and to some degree, that I, think, I think that's exciting. And so if I can rope my girlfriend in, I could certainly rope my nerdy friends into playing triples. And... Uh, or at least anyone who's ever heard of Star Trek, and most everyone who's heard of Star Trek has heard of Tribbles, because The Trouble with Tribbles is a very popular episode. So, in a, to make a long point short, it's a good game, it's fresh, it stays fresh, and it's very casual. But it's it's got the perfect balance of casualness with robustness, and that's exactly, that's that's, I think, one reason Dominion is such a popular game. It is easy to pick up, very easy to pick up, and it stays so fresh. You just add one new kingdom card to the kingdom cards, and that's it. I mean, you could play the same other nine kingdom cards, or you take platinums in and out, and that's it. It, it is so fresh, and that's why my Tuesday night game nights are... That's what we play every time. We play a little Tui. Sometimes we play a little Cards Against Humanity, but we always play Dominion because it is so fresh, and there are millions of different combinations of cards... And Tribbles is, by definition, going to be a living card game, much like Dominion. And that's it. I mean, we can make a Tribbles draft cube, and I'm sure someone has. And that would be very exciting. 
And since everything will be printable, it's going to be even easier to do that. So let's, let's keep triples working. Let's not worry about utilize too much, but let's keep it in check. And let's, let's consider that it can be a very fun game so long as we treat it properly. So I think I've said enough about infinite diversity and triples for one night. And I'm very excited about the state of Trek in general. And I'm going to finish this off by saying this is Corbin Johnson saying so long and thanks for all the Trek.